What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three war boys denied entry into Valhalla with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I have Chrome every day. I'm Keith Baker, and I will be McFeasting in Valhalla tonight. And I'm Austin Terry, and I took a big swig of Mother's Milk before we started this recording. On today's show, we are returning to our favorite movie series, and this is where one of us picks a random all-time favorite of ours, and we do an episode on it. Today is Austin's turn, and he picked George Miller's 2015 post-apocalyptic action film, Mad Max Fury Road. But before we get to that, what instrument would you play on a war rig in the apocalypse? Yeah, well, I feel like since this is in the Mad Max universe, you know, your outfit also has to be extreme. So I think I would have a snare drum just like on my chest that I have to bang over and over. Then I would also have the kind of Billy Joel harmonica get up on my face. Mm. And I'm just kind of like bolted into that thing. So I'm either playing the harmonica or I'm not speaking. Damn, Austin, you stole mine. I was going to say harmonica too, but I'll go with the next Cajun instrument and that's an accordion. Cajun? Is harmonica Cajun? A lot of Cajun music has a harmonica, yeah. Wow, you learn something new every day. <laughs> well, yes, you do, sir. But the problem problem with accordion, though, is like you got to have both hands like strapped in. So I like to think we're both like strapped into the Doofmobile. So you might have your hands bolted to that accordion, too, because you mm. can't stop playing for the convoy. <laughs> you just can't stop playing. Yeah, mine's pretty easy. Uh, it would be the triangle, and it wouldn't be connected to anything, and I would just be dressed as me. And I would die. <laughs> <laughs> would it be the traditional triangle or like a yep. triangle made out of like car parts? Nothing special about Nothing it. Nothing. Yeah, you're dead immediately. You're probably a blood bag at this point. Uh, No, I don't know what my blood type is. I'm not sure if I'm a universal donor, so I might not be as in high demand as one Thomas Hardy. <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and just get into the main topic of today's show. So, Austin, since this is your pick, how about you just start us off and take it away? Why is Mad Max Fury Road one of your favorites? Yeah, I'm going to come out bold today. I think Mad Max Fury Road is a perfect movie. And it came out in 2015, like you said, released to a ton of hype. And I think when it came out, it delivered on every single thing it promised in its marketing and in the opening of the film. I think the set design, the practical effects, all the stunts are out of this world and are still unlike anything I've seen on film today. Um, I think they edit this movie perfectly. I think it's so effective with its time. It's exactly two hours and the majority of it is just a thrill ride of the film. There's really not any complaints I really have about this film. It genuinely is one of my favorite movies, and I think Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron are both great in the leads. Um, so I just love and adore everything about this movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it today. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Austin. I loved it. Definitely an interesting movie, really cool setting. I love the opening, the whole visual effects of it all, and like you said, that practical effects too. And the story is uh, super simple, which I liked. I like, you know, I don't... I like a good long story every now and then, but I also just like a, a quick, like, let's jump into this window of time and, and see what these characters are up to. And then as far as the action goes, it's just, it's just so fun the whole time you're in it. Uh, it's, just, it's one of those kind of movies where you're, you're kind of uh, on edge the entire time. There's really not any downtime at all, no slow time at all. And for an action movie, that's what you want. Uh, I think we did cover the soundtrack. Um, back in our soundtrack uh, bracket. Yeah, in one of our very first brackets. Yeah, so that was really cool to listen to that. And yeah, I definitely think it's, it's, it's a great soundtrack. Um, I love the whole like hardcore like rock, but mixed with kind of techno and kind of rave kind of music, but it all fits in together perfectly with what's going on. And it matches 
whatever action maneuver is is happening at that time. Um, so overall, had really fun with it. Really, really cool movie. Um, definitely going to be on my rewatchability list for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie too. I think this is only the second time I've watched it all the way through. I saw it in theaters, so I get, yeah, it's been several years now. Um, yeah, and, and I really enjoy it. I enjoyed it then, and I still enjoy it now. I certainly think um, the reason to watch this one is the action sequences and the set pieces that that action takes place. And of course, along the same line there, the fact that, you know, it, it's so practical and that was kind of the big story around this movie. You know, it took so long to make because they tried to do as much as they can, like in the camera, which is crazy. And it, and it shows it looks great. Um, you know, the first time I saw it and I guess this time my complaints, I wouldn't say everything else. I definitely don't feel like that strongly at all. It's just... I don't know. I, I don't know what I would have done differently. I don't know what they could have done to make me feel more. I don't, you know, because I love stuff like John Wick where, you know, there's just like little bits and pieces of an emotional core there. Basically, there's enough. With this one, I, I think it comes close. Maybe I, I would have liked a little more. I think there's just slightly lacking when it comes to characters, relationships, and, you know, kind of that, uh, those non action moments, I guess I would say. I still really like it, but. There's just something, I don't know, there's just something that, that was missing for me when I first saw it, and I felt the same way. That being said, I had a blast watching it, and it held my interest the entire time, and, you know, it, it, it's super fun. I just, I guess to put it simply, I always felt a little bit in the minority with this movie, because while I really liked it, it, it was never like one of my, I guess, you know, we're doing an Our Favorite Movies episode, it was never one of mine. Uh, it probably is. I mean, I think unquestionably one of the best action movies of the last decade, though. I think I could confidently say that. But yeah, it's not super high up there for me, but I'm glad I rewatched it because I guess now it's crazy to think that it's been seven years since I've seen it. And it felt like it could have been released this year. You know, it feels like and that's probably in large part due to the practical effects, but it looks fantastic. Um, it's a blast to watch. I guess I just I don't know when it comes to setting up some of the characters and just like little little bits and pieces that they mentioned. Maybe I could have used a little bit more, but I don't know if that would have changed my opinion all that much because I still really like it. I hear what you're saying on the characters. I wouldn't say they're the best well-rounded characters ever put in the film, but I think my main positive for them is that I think all the characters fit this world. Um, and they kind of set that up in the intro is that they're all reduced to just surviving. So they don't do anything unless it furthers that goal. So they don't talk unless they have to. They don't build relationships because we're so far into the apocalypse at this point. So things like that, while it doesn't help to character building necessarily, I, I do think it does add to the overall um, world building of the film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's very true for sure. Yeah, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't always need like a long and detailed story. I kind of like that this one is, is pretty lean and kind of, like you said, Austin, just kind of stripped down to their basic instincts. So yeah, it kind of fits the story. Uh, I, you know, I did notice that, like towards the end of the movie, I was like, damn, I don't I don't know how many lines Tom Hardy had, but it was, I don't know even know if he had 20 lines in the entire movie. He actually only has 20. I looked it up before oh, we started. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I was kind of, I kind of made that observation towards the end. I was like, man, this guy really didn't talk a whole lot, uh, but it, it fit his character and, and uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it. I really love that you don't hear him speak until after the first chase. Like you hear his narration, of course, but he doesn't actually like address another character until uh, him and Furiosa get done with the fight. And I, I, that's like the longest I think I've ever seen a main character go without speaking, um, like actually on camera in a film. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that they're working on 
or George Miller is writing and directing the Furiosa prequel with Anya Taylor-Joy and Chris Hemsworth. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, she was the breakout character for this one. It was always kind of comical to me that this movie was even called Mad Max. (laughs) Like, I understand it's part of a franchise, but I don't know. He's probably like the least interesting part of it. Not to say that Tom Hardy's bad or like the character's bad, but I just like felt so like much more engaged than everybody else. So I'm actually kind of excited for maybe getting more of her story after seven years. So am I. They, actually, they just started production in June. So it's yeah. nice to know that movie is coming. It's nice to know that movie is coming because Tom Hardy's also been attached for to another Bad Max movie for years now, and they've never really started production to really address that film. So yeah. I'm starting to get a little nervous we may not see him again, just given where George Miller is getting up there at his age. Yeah. And plus, Tom Hardy has to shoot Venom 3 next year. So I think he's busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the part of our episode where we usually just drop the official spoiler warning and we tell you if you haven't watched what we're talking about, go watch it and come on back. Obviously, this is a little different. You know, it's a seven-year-old movie, but still, if somehow you have not seen Mad Max Free Road all this time, uh, you know how much Austin loves it. Keith loves it. I still really like it, so we all certainly recommend it. If you haven't watched it, go check it out, then come on back because from this point on, we're just going to get into all those spoilers, all that good stuff. Uh, Before we get to our actual discussion, Matt and Keith, why don't you break down the cast and crew? All right. So we've already talked about him, but this is directed by George Miller. Uh, You probably know him from The Babe, Happy Feet, and Mad Max franchises. He actually directed the three previous Mad Max movies with Mel Gibson, and he returned for this one after several years. Uh, And then just for relevancy's sake, he also directed 3,000 Years of Longing, which we just did an episode on last week. So if you're curious about that, make sure you check it out. Uh, it's also written by George Miller, along with Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lathuris. The cinematography, we got to call it the cinematography here, uh, was done by John Seal. And the score, also great, composed by Junkie XL. All right, and going into our cast here, we have Tom Hardy as Max, Charlize Theron as Furiosa, Nicholas Holt as Nux, and Hugh Keysburn as Immortan Joe. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? I got to give my highlight to George Miller and the entire um, production crew. The fact that every vehicle you see on screen is real. Um, The fact that the stunts you see, you know, there's people actually up on poles swinging back and forth over the cars. There's people actually rolling and flipping the cars. The only time they use CGI in this movie is to take out like safety cables or maybe add to the scenery, but all the actual stunts are done for real. Um, That's my highlight. It's the reason to see this movie, I think. We'll talk about it more. Um, But George Miller and the crew... Fantastic job. Uh, definitely my highlight for this movie. Yeah. Um, I think I have to second that as well. I mean, that's pretty much the best part of this movie is like the cinematography, the writing, and, and the way the story and the action kind of flow together. Um, as far as the acting goes, everybody was good. It's hard to really shout out one particular person, but I guess I'll shout out Charlize Theron as um, Furiosa. I feel like she kind of brought a little bit more emotion than anybody else out of the, the three or four main cast members. So um, I'll shout out to her. Yeah, you guys took two of the big ones for me. Obviously, George Miller, hard to overlook here and his team. And then, yeah, from an acting standpoint, I think I'd agree with you, Keith. I think I would go with Charlize Theron as well. Um, I really like Furiosa. Like I already said, I'm actually the idea of like a prequel story, I feel like shouldn't really interest me all that much because, you know, prequels can be so hit or miss. But I mean, I really like that character enough that I'm excited. Um, I guess part of me wishes that it would have been cool to maybe get like 
I don't know, a Furiosa sequel. And I guess if they had made the prequel maybe soon after this, maybe they could have just used Charlize Theron. Oh, well, I'm excited for Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, I guess if I had to shout out somebody additional, it would probably be uh, the combo there that we mentioned. John Seal behind the camera and then Junkie XL just, you know, going balls to the wall in that recording booth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, the way like, like we already said, I mean, it's pro- we're probably just repeating ourselves at this point, but I think it deserves, uh, you know, just saying over and over again. But, you know, what uh, they did cinematography wise, like the way this movie looks is pretty pitch perfect. And then. I think Junkie XL really delivered one of his best uh, scores to date, for sure. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of variety in it, which seems weird for a movie that's, you know, mostly just like an elongated chase scene. But they, they do find ways to kind of put in some, not necessarily like slow pieces, but just pieces that sound different from each other and somehow always fit the scene. Like, for example, like. When Max is first captured, the music sounds radically different from like later in the movie during that that final battle when they're trying to go back through the canyon. So, yeah, I really like that a lot. I love when like the drum beat, like all the actual uh, harmonizing stuff like kind of cuts out and you're left with like just that soft drum beat as mm-hmm. they like do their panning shots of the convoy. The, the panning shots of the convoy in this movie are just gorgeous. Like the way they're driving through the desert, it looks like a sea battle with all these like ships kind of conveying together. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I love when they like, pan out over the convoy and then zoom in on the Duffmobile and the drumming on the Duffmobile matches Junkie XL's score. I think it's so cool. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. So you know our thoughts, but what did everybody else think of Mad Max? So Fury Road, of course, received universal acclaim and is considered one of the best action films of all time. It currently has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. The site's critical consensus is, with exhilarating action and a surprising amount of narrative heft, Mad Max Fury Road brings George Miller's post-apocalyptic franchise roaring vigorously back to life. And I was actually, uh, I wanted to put in this little segment here because I had a really good time doing this with you guys uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about one of Keith's favorite movies, Ford v. Ferrari. So, at the 2016 Academy Awards, the film is nominated for 10 Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. It won six. Uh, The most of the night, actually, with best costume design, best production design, best makeup and hairstyling, best film editing, best sound editing, and best sound mixing. So now the big question. Mad Max Fury Road lost the Best Picture Award to Spotlight. Uh, The other nominees that night were The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. So guys, what are your thoughts? I mean, did they get it wrong? Did Spotlight deserve to win? Or... Is there another dark horse in there that you think maybe is better or worse than Mad Max? I just want to know, where does Mad Max Fury Road fall on this list for you? I mean, for me, I think the only movie on that list that even like holds a candle to Mad Max is The Revenant. Kind of similar movies in that sense, you know, very kind of practical and visceral. Less about the story, I suppose, and more about the experience, for sure. I mean, The Big Short is good, but overall, that's a that's a pretty bad list for Best Picture winners, I'd say, for that year. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the big short, but I think Mad Max would be higher <laughs> than that. Uh, and I've I haven't seen Bridge of Sp- I have not seen Bridge of Spies or Brooklyn or The Revenant or The Room. I've only only seen The Big Short and The Martian. Well, I guess the question is because I know um because I know the three of us really love Spotlight, but I think that is kind of becoming now that some years have passed, people look back on that and go. Yeah, Spotlight was good, but did it deserve to win Best Picture? That's kind of the narrative that seems to be going around Spotlight, even though I like it a lot. I think for what 
Mad Max just accomplishes in its filmmaking, it should be higher up there. I'm not sure if it is a best picture movie, but just for what it like from just a filmmaking perspective, I think this movie just kind of blows all those others out of the water, except maybe The Revenant. Yeah, I'd also put The Martian high up there. I know I think in the same way, The Martian probably isn't a best picture winner, uh, but just like a kind of delightfully fun, sweet, rewatchable movie. So that's up there for me, too. All right, guys. Well, it is time to go a little bit deeper. So let's go ahead and get into our roundtable discussion. This is just the bulk of our conversation. We each brought a couple points that we felt deserved a little more time. So let's do it. Who wants to start us off? Yeah, let's start in the natural place um, of the beginning of the movie. So I love how quickly this movie just gets to its main plot. Um, I actually checked this time on watching it, but at the 15 minute mark, we're already into the chase that's going to occupy the entirety of the film. So I just want to know, how did you guys feel in general about the intro to the story? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I, I love the fact that he was just sitting there uh, or standing there next to his car in the desert. I thought that was such a cool shot just to open up with. And all of a sudden, that convoy just comes right behind him like, oh, shit, they're jumping in this quick. <laughs> this is awesome. I like it, too. I always appreciate when a movie just gets to the point. You know, they do a decent job um, setting up in those first 15 minutes, like what is actually going on, I think. And yeah, you know, it just kind of wraps you in pretty quickly. Uh, we're introduced to Max right off the bat. I enjoy his opening narration. It kind of gives you a quick little overview of the franchise as a whole up until that point. Like, oh, what actually caused this crazy event? You don't need like it all spelled out for you. But you know that he's haunted by past mistakes and getting people killed. And he's haunted by those like flashes throughout the movie. They introduce us to the war boys right off the bat. They kind of show that, you know, at first, oh, okay, I guess this is weird. This is like a is this a dictatorship? How does a Morton Joe rule? Is this like, oh, is he a good guy? People seem to like him. But then very quickly understand, oh, okay, they like him because like he literally controls their water supply and he doesn't really give them too much. So even little things like that do a good job of making you go, oh, okay, at first this seemed like maybe, I don't know, like, is this what they want? Is this what you would want in the post-apocalypse? I have no idea. And then very quickly they kind of shut that down in an effective way. And then, you know, and almost immediately, then we go into the war rig and we're introduced to Furiosa. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, they did a really good job of just hitting all those points that they needed to really quickly. And they only hit the points that they had to, essentially. I mean, like they give us that quick introduction to Nux, who's using um, uh, Max as the blood bag. And you're like, at first, OK, is this really relevant? And then by the time you get to the end credits, it totally makes sense. So it's like. They only introduce us to the characters in the world in the scenario at the Citadel enough so that by the time it ends, you go, oh, OK, that little prologue kind of makes sense. They gave us just enough, I think. This movie doesn't hold your hand. Uh, you're, you're in it right away. I think it's really remarkable how quickly they establish the world, the stakes, the main characters, and there's not really any confusion. And it's also not done to like exhibition either. Like, they tell you about the blood pack thing by showing you the tattoo they're putting on Max's back where it says, universal donor, keep muzzled, he's feral. Like, that's all you need to know. It's a quick shot. Um, your point about how they don't overdo it, Matt, I, that's also what I love about the editing of the movie is they cut out things you can assume so that way we can get right back into the action. Like, whenever Max rides out to the Salt Lake and says, hey, we should go back, they then just cut to them driving back and you don't need to see them like debating or agreeing. Like we can assume they agreed and we're just right back into the action. So things like that with the editing, the dialogue is only when it's necessary. All that I think gets you right into the story really quickly and just shows you how effectively they use their time in this movie. Well, I guess we've already mentioned um, like almost all of the main characters at this point, but I guess we could get into whether or not 
we like them and some of our deeper thoughts. But yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask you guys the question. What do you think about the characters? Yeah, I don't know if you're supposed to like any of them, really. I would. I think the obvious choice there is Furiosa, because she's the one that has like a noble mission trying to get uh, the wives away from a Morton Joe into a, a better place to live. Um, but everyone's kind of rough in this movie, and they definitely all only act to further their own gains. While the characters may not be the best well-rounded characters, I do think they fit the world and add to the world building. As for the one I like the most, I think that would be Furiosa, but I do also like how gruff um, and, and kind of rough Max is in this movie too. Yeah, I like the I like kind of the humor Max has too uh, at the beginning when he has like the uh, like the cage thing on his face and he's strapped to the front of the car and he's like, "Damn, they took my car and took my blood." Yeah, uh, so he has some funny lines and then yeah, going to Furiosa, I just think she's like straight badass, like. There's no cheesiness with her, like because the, they could have easily made her cheesy. They could have made Max cheesy too. Like they could have had her like spouting like lines, like "I gotta do this for my family" and stuff like that. But they didn't have any of that. Like she's just stoic the entire time. Uh, and the fact that she's doing all with all with uh, one arm is cool too. Which I'm kind of curious of how she lost that arm. Well, stay tuned to theaters in 2024 when Furiosa hits the big screen. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say I disagree. I, I agree with you when it like comes to not being cheesy in regards to like maybe some of the dialogue. But this movie's really goofy in a in a cool way. Like, I, I don't know, like just like the scenario itself, the world that's kind of built up um, in this po- post-apocalypse is kind of goofy. Obviously, there's some really dark and fucked up shit going on with like the wives and like enslaving people and stuff. But I don't know, just like the way characters are dressed, like how they look, um, just the scenario of like, <laughs> like the cars and the fact that there's a guy like just strapped in, like just playing a guitar that shoots fire out in the middle of this chase. Like, so I really like that. I like how goofy <laughs> some of the, those character moments are. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the characters, yeah, I agree. I think Furios is the standout for sure because you kind of get a little bit of everything. You get that cool stoicism. You get a badass action hero. She is the only one, eh, maybe not maybe not the only one, but maybe like the only main, main character that gets some serious emotional moments and just maybe not even like emotional moments, but more just like emotional depth. Like we feel, I feel like we find out more about her in a good way. Um, Max is kind of just, I don't know. I guess I would just say if Furiosa has that badass seal on top of those other things, I, I think I would just give Mad Max the the badass seal. I think that's, you know, it seems like kind of the point of the character, at least in this movie. Has some good lines in there, some funny moments, like his little goofy half-assed thumbs up in the car is always a funny image. Um, so he has cool moments like that. And then he tries to, like, help Furiosa at one point. He's like, Telling her not to believe in hope because it'll turn you insane. And it's like, yeah, we get it, Max. Yes, you're clearly insane. Uh, after your 12th image of a, a creepy little girl, I knew you were insane. <laughs> but that, that being said, it's still a really, you know, fun and thrilling character to watch. And then, you know, I, I kind of appreciate the arc that uh, Nux the Warboy has. I really love his dying moment where he points at the uh, at Riley Keough's character instead of saying, witness me. You know, in regards to going to Valhalla, it's almost like he's saying witness me to her because he's sacrificing himself to save them. So, you know, there's some great little emotional and solid moments like that. Um, And Morton Joe, while there's, you know, not much of that character, definitely a a villain that you can easily root against and you want the characters to just kill at every corner. So, 
yeah, I think it's a nice cast of characters. So we've touched on the effects and how they're all practical. Um, I have a simple question. What were your favorite set pieces while watching this time around? Um, I feel like my two are probably the only real CG heavy scene just because it's so different, which is the sandstorm, obviously. Just visually really fun to look at and pretty thrilling. But when it comes to probably my number one favorite, um, just because of it's, it feels like a good climax because they kind of um, they incorporate all of the elements of the chase that we've seen up until that point. And that's it, it's I guess I would say it's part of the final chase through the canyon, but specifically the part once Max exits the vehicle, Furiosa gets stabbed and the stakes raised. And then that's kind of the part where they're calling out to Max to like she's hurt, come help her. And then that's when he starts like. I don't even know what you call them, like the little like poles that the war boys are. Yeah, that they're kind of going back and forth, like tipping back and forth, like the canyon over. Once Max kind of jumps on that and gets grabbed for the first time and starts maneuvering the battlefield, so to speak, with those poles, that's probably my favorite moment of the movie, just because it's practical, it looks insane, and it's just really cool. And that shot of Max coming up on the pole with the the other rig exploding. Yeah, that's the so best well shot framed. in the movie. Yeah. And he just like, he looks kind of casually like surprised by that. Like he looks back and then just like looks the other direct. Like he doesn't really care that much about it. <laughs> there's another one. I think the first chase scene on Furiosa, whenever there's a car with all the spikes on top. Yeah, the scavengers. Yeah, the scavenger. And whenever that one gets flipped over, I thought for sure somebody was going to land on those spikes. I think someone might have, but you don't really see it. Yeah, the one you're mentioning, Keith, that, I think that might be my favorite sequence is the first time the war rig is attacked by, I'm not sure if it's scavengers or scabs, it might be scabs, but when they're attacked by the spiky car people, that faction just feels so different from what we see in the rest of the movie. Like they have that one car that pulls up with the bulldozer trying to rip stuff off. Furiosa still has the war boys on her side at that point. So kind of seeing the war rig like fully operational with its turrets and its, um, the, the poles with the bombs on it, like all of that stuff I thought was super fun. And that first guy who says, witness me, and takes both uh, the two poles in one hand and jumps onto that spiky car and explodes it is a great shot, too. I liked how like comfortable they all were with like cars, and like because that's pretty much all they have to live for now is being on automobiles. I also like how he asks Nux, like, are you a black thumb? And that means you can go work on the engine. So he's mm. literally down under the war rig working on the engine while all this other action is going on, too. It's also a little lines of dialogue like that where they don't explain anything but they show it to you and that also adds to like the existing lore of this world that i think is really fun like a black thumb is clearly a common term in this world that everyone knows means you're a good mechanic and they don't have to explain that to us they just show it by what nux does in his action so it's if it's things like that where they do where they do build the world in this movie and they do give you some lore but none of it ever takes away from the main story 100 percent yeah, I love those little back and forth moments. Probably my favorite little dialogue bits. Yeah, so I said earlier, I like how localized the story is. I mean, yeah, it takes place in this post-apocalyptic world, but really it only focuses like on this spick of land that's maybe like 300 miles radius or something like that. Um, so I like that they didn't, you know, bring in too much of like a futuristic aspect to it. Like there's no like spaceships or like this, the technology is not really advanced at all. And there's probably like maybe other colonies out there that do have like green pastures and maybe m might be living comfortably. We don't know, really. So I like that it was uh, more regional. Yeah, I, I really like those elements, too. And, and I like how, to your point, Keith, everything in this world is it feels like they found it and then repurposed it for whatever their needs are. It makes everything feel uh, more realized because 
like you can see stuff that you'll see in our everyday life, but just being used in a different way. Yeah, that's what I liked about it too. I mean, it's just in the grand scheme of a post-apocalypse, it's a pretty small story, but they tell it with the absolute biggest scale that anybody possibly could. So yeah, they just went all out. It's really cool. I also like that for sure. I, I, I think that the way that you can see some familiar things, like some familiar like car parts, like, I don't know, just, just anything, like occasionally you'll just go, oh, there you go. This is a post-apocalypse, but it's still, you know, it happened in a kind of modern era, so to speak. So you, there would be some familiar things to see. So it's always kind of a fun, yeah, always cool. Even like the cockpit of the war rig is just a Cadillac that they've attached to the rest of the, the rest of the truck. So like things like that, I think are super cool. I like how it is, it is spread out, but because it's a desert, you can see the other colonies. So um, the Morton Joe's place is signaling to gas town when the convoy leaves, they use flares so they can shoot up when they need help. And because it's such a flat landscape, all the other colonies can see that too. Um, Stuff that once again, never gets explained to you in the movie, but they don't hold your hand. They show it to you and you can easily assume like, oh, this is how they communicate in this world. And we can just move on with our main story. And I guess it's always cool to see, you know, like some sort of religious element in stories like this. And in this case, it's a cult, you know, that Morton Joe has brainwashed these people into believing in. But yeah, it's just crazy to think that in a post-apocalypse, like not that many years into it, there's already people that are blasting huge amounts of chrome into their mouth and just saying that they're going to kill themselves because they're going to go to Valhalla. So there's like weird Norse elements thrown in there. And it kind of makes you go, I wonder, like, how'd that start? Like, where did, who's the person in this apocalypse that started this cult and started brainwashing people, but figured, I'll just incorporate the Norse version of, you know, like the afterlife, like such like a interesting thing. Like, they never like explain any of that, but they don't need to. It it just kind of makes you go, huh, I wonder how that started. So I feel like religion and post-apocalypses and, and stories usually go together in an interesting way. I'm guessing it was just random, but I guess maybe Immortan Joe chose the like the Viking religion of Valhalla and all that kind of stuff, I guess because it's, it's like probably the most useful for him to brainwash these people. There's no uh, hesitation in any of, the, any of the people's minds. And like the, the platform that's raising up and down, that was being raised by people stepping on like a hamster wheel pretty much so they had like almost like slave labor going on too definitely did for sure Um, but they were all motivated and like happy to be there almost another reason for the norse mythology too is i know the mad max franchise is set in um, a wasteland of australia maybe using norse religion in the context of this world is so foreign to people that are left surviving It, it might be it might be like just different enough that they're able to believe in it So I remember this being a big talking point when the movie came out, but essentially, I guess I wouldn't call it like half of the movie, maybe like three fourths of the movie is like going towards the green place. And the last act, essentially, like the last quarter is, all right, let's go back to the Citadel because now there's a, a reason to do so. So kind of like a interesting, um, not even a twist, but it's just like a surprising switch, I guess you could say. So, I mean, what do you guys think of that? Because that's a, certainly a big emotional moment. It's big for the story, um, big for the characters, even Max included. He kind of finally breaks through that tough exterior a little bit. So what'd you, what'd you think about that element of like going, okay, there wasn't anything here. Let's go back to the Citadel. Yeah. The most common complaint I always hear about this part is it just feels like a repeat of the first half once they turn around. Um, Cause we are kind of doing the same thing for me. 
I would have been excited to see the salt lands and, and what would have happened if they, I think that's the ocean that's dried up. So it, it could have been kind of cool to see what would have happened if they tried to make it across that journey. But I also like to think of this stuff in the context of this world and these characters. And I probably sound like a broken record, but the whole point is survival. Um, so it makes sense to me that they would choose going back to the Citadel when they have a chance to have a spot with water, have a place to restart their crops versus the unknown of the salt lands. And I like that Max, who is a, is a character of opportunity, he can sense this opportunity that there's no forces there. If they can just bust through, it'll be very easy to take this place. Um, so I think it makes sense for these characters, but I do totally understand the critique that it is just a repeat of the first half of the movie. I like the fact that they, they go back to the Citadel. Um, for one, that proves to all the people that, and more than Joe, you know, can die and that he's not the, uh, the chosen one that they might think he is. And that Max is kind of like walking away while he's looking at, um, Furiosa, like, yep, I'm gonna go do my own thing now. At least that's what I got from it. And maybe he is going to go off and find his own green pasture one day. Who knows? Yeah, I, I can also understand if that's a complaint people have, you know, it's like, all right, let's go back through the canyon. So we get similar like, you know, vistas, so to speak, and similar action, even though I did think, like I mentioned earlier, that that climax action feels like a nice ramp up. So it feels different enough, but I can understand people having that complaint. Um, But yeah, at least it kind of gives us more character moments. It's the first time Furiosa really breaks down. It's the first time Max does something kind of, you know, not super selfish, I suppose, or for his own interests. The wives kind of take charge too, like they want to go back and they want, or most of them at least want to go back and, you know, make a difference. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of, a, it's, a, it's a turning point in the movie, but a very non-traditional turning point because it's almost, it's a turning point literally as well. It's like, all right, let's turn around and go back. So yeah, definitely strange, but kind of cool. And I like that the characters finally break at least so more interesting conversations and little back and forths can happen afterwards. This is also one of the few points in the movie where we have characters just standing and talking. Um, so we do actually get to learn about a lot more of the characters here. Uh, like, you're, like you said, Matt, I like that we get the growth moments from Max and Furiosa breaking down. And while when we go back, it is essentially a repeat of the first half, I like how it's, it's always different. Like when we go back, this is the first time we see the pole jumpers come into the action. So that makes the climax feel different. Um, we have the nighttime scene where they're laying traps for the bullet for the bullet town guy um, and sniping. And it's a bit more stealthy. Um, and we also have that like swamp land that we go through. So they do find a way to break up the movie. Um, despite the fact that it is just kind of one long road that they then turn around on. And I guess from like a realistic aspect of it, it's kind of like they didn't have to, but it's probably smart that they did go back because I think, I think Max might've said it and maybe you said it Austin too. They almost needed to go back and re- kind of refuel on water since they just kind of got done with the fight of their lives. Like, yeah, they could have gone like on a, a long journey with very little water and very little fuel, but it's probably smart that did go back to refuel and then maybe Max or whoever wants to go on that journey now after going back, then that would make sense. Yeah, I definitely agree. It made more sense than the alternative for sure. All right. Well, let's go into our ending and wrap up here. Um, how'd you guys like it? Were the, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but were the stakes high enough for you with all the characters? I know some of these characters had you know, kind of vague backstories, but I think there was enough, for me, I think it was enough backstories to, to feel invested in them and, and to really be curious about how they go on uh, after this story. Yeah, I really enjoy this final chase. Um, I know 
with the many mothers, when we see some of them die, we did just meet them a few minutes ago in the context of this film. But I think because they establish how important these ladies are to Furiosa, it does give them more stakes when you die because you can see how that would impact her. And I, we've talked about the action enough in this episode, I think, but I do think that climax scene is, is still fantastic and looks great today. Um, and, and the final shot of all of them, including the kind of townsfolk of Immortan Joe's Colony, all of them rising up together, I think it's just a, a beautiful shot to end this movie because it does show that kind of the people have taken back this place and they're going to make it their own and a place that maybe is a bit more equal than it is today. Yeah, I like those closing moments a lot. It feels like, you know, even though it's the same Citadel that we saw earlier with the death of Immortan Joe and I think more <laughs> level-headed and, you know, equal opportunists in charge, it's going to be a good place. And I think, you know, it's going to be this, like, saving grace in the middle of this post-apocalypse. Like they said, somehow they're able to grow stuff there. They have, like, all the water they could ever need. Um, so, yeah. I think it made sense to go back, and I like that final shot of watching them rise up as well. It's really cool. And then just kind of pairing that, you know, it's like the rise of Furiosa seemingly going to take over, and then you have uh, Max just kind of fading into the crowd. Because, yeah, from what I always understood, like the Mad Max character, even though he was always played by Mel Gibson in those first three movies, it's not like there was a whole lot of connective tissue. Like, it was the same guy, but in Mad Max 2, they don't necessarily, I don't think, like, reference, like, a whole lot of stuff that happens in the first one. Same with 3, with 2. It's definitely the same thing here. I mean, they don't really give us a ton of his backstory, just, like, a couple mentions in narration. So it feels right that he just kind of slips into the crowd at the end, and he's going to presumably find a vehicle and just go keep driving. And like you said earlier, Keith, he's going to either find green pastures of his own or he's going to on the way he's going to get stopped and attacked and he'll have to deal with that or he's going to run into some other cause that he feels that he needs to insert himself in uh you know and that's just kind of the mad max way i suppose he just kind of keeps drifting until he feels the need to stop or somebody gets in his way and stops him so i like that i like that he didn't stay i think that that would have worked too but i like the idea of him just you know, giving her the nod and saying, I'm on my way, basically. I know originally the, the project that Tom Hardy was attached to was called Mad Max The Wasteland. So it seems like we were going to pick up right where this movie left off and just see where his next journey takes him. Um, I like that it's left to you to kind of assume and, and just, you know, kind of tell your own story of where you think Max might end up next. All right. Well, before we close out, then it's time for the Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is just the part of our show where we can pick something. Can be positive, can be negative. It just has to be something that we think deserves specific praise. Yeah, I'm going to give the Fear Factor Award to Max and Nux. Because those guys can eat just about anything. Max eats the lizard at the beginning, and then Nux looks at like a roach or a fly on his hand for just a second. And he's like, oh, and he just puts it in his mouth and starts crunching on it. So I think those guys would definitely make it to the top if they went on Fear Factor. Yeah, they would definitely make it far in that competition because I don't think you can have any fear in this world if you want to survive. Um, and I'm sure Joe Rogan would enjoy giving them even more competitions on that show. Um, I'm going to give the most pizza-y face award to a Morton Joe. And when you see that mask get ripped off of him, how red his face is, oh. I just could only think of pizza sauce. So <laughs> the most pizza-y face goes to a Morton Joe. Wow. I'm going to go Scariest Doctor, and it goes to the doctor in this movie who's... Ooh, the organic mechanic? Yeah, he's clearly using the same needle to tattoo everybody. He's clearly using the same knives to perform pregnancies and just 
cut people open and pull babies out. And then he uses the umbilical cord like a jump rope. So I don't like this guy. I don't think I'd want to be under the knife for him in quite literally any scenario. Because I was scared. And he's getting the scariest doctor award. You never know. He might be like the cleanest doctor around in this world. Maybe. Something (laughs) to think about. Well, with that, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. If you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you ever get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. And lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at The Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Mad Max Fury Road? Do you think it lives up to the hype? Is it one of the best action movies of all time? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next time. And in the meantime, witness me. See ya. Mediocre. Mediocre.